one of the things I want to share with you is a story from uh, the book of Luke, Luke 10, uh, sorry, Luke 13, verse 10, a short story, but a few things I want to highlight from that. And part of that is just an understanding of, this, of spiritual realities. I find that in the West, many of us don't understand the significance of spiritual realities. So we're very driven by physical nature and the world around us that we're out of touch with spiritual things. So spiritual things are weird in quote to us and we're not responsive to spiritual things. And generally, Generally, the church is more intellectually stimulated than living out of the place of spirit inspiration. We celebrate great theology, but no reality. We can debate each other to the grave, yet we have nothing to show for the power of the gospel at work in our lives. You say God has saved you? Yeah, you're really saved? Well, saved from what? Saved from what? Saved from stealing? Are you saved from lying? Are you saved from pornography? Are you saved from the powers of darkness? Because if he's really saved you, what has he saved you from if you're still bound? Then what's the point of the salvation if I'm not living in freedom? So I'm not going to say I'm saved if I'm not living the reality of what salvation means. In fact, I was talking to someone recently and saying, you know, this postmodern society we live in right now, if you tell someone that has no Christian background you're a Christian, there's so much baggage with that word. Because people have all kinds of ideas about what it means to be a Christian. And when you say to the unbeliever, I'm a Christian, they they can think of all kinds of strange things. And I thought, a better way to say it is, I'm a Christ follower. Well, that cannot be mistaken for what I'm really trying to say. If I'm really following the teachings of Christ, I believe the teachings of Christ are actually a lot harder to swallow than many of us realize. Just read through the New Testament. No, read the Gospels over and over again. And don't read just one chapter at a time. As a one day, read all stories all through. And look at how Jesus deals with people. Look at how Jesus deals with hypocrites. Look at how Jesus deals with the religious leaders. Look at how Jesus deals with sin. And you realize, actually, we have a tamed idea of Jesus in the West. He is serious. He's serious. And what I want to share with you today, um, it's connected to something Jesus did and how he set a woman free. In this passage, um, you see Jesus um, in the synagogue, and he says, um, uh, uh, this is Luke, 10, Luke 13, verse 10. It says, now, this is Jesus. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, and she was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to himself and said to her, Woman, that would lose from your woman, you will lose from your infirmity. And he laid his hand on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. If you read further on, the religious leaders got upset with him because the heel torn on the Sabbath, and he basically told them off. <laughs> and he says they were ashamed. I just, I just love how Jesus was quite confrontational. Jesus was not just some guy who was just timid and shy and afraid to speak up for what's right. Jesus was full of boldness, and he was ready to confront the religious leaders of his day with truth. I want to say to you, there's something that we need to recapture in the gospel in boldness. 
in today's world, I don't need to tell you this, but there's so much going on in our society today that would cause us as Christians to be easily intimidated and almost want to keep our mouth shut when we should actually be speaking, when we should actually be the influencers, when we should actually be the ones that are letting our voices being heard. We cannot afford to be silent. We've got a t-shirt out there somewhere that says, I will not be silent. Your voice is significant and your voice needs to be heard. And we need to recapture something of the boldness that Jesus embodied for us. Jesus was not afraid to confront. Jesus was not afraid to speak the truth. When Jesus walked into an atmosphere, he changed the atmosphere. The atmosphere did not change him. Many of you are not able to affect the places you're in, your school, your places of work, because when you get into that atmosphere, the people you're relating with, listen, they're stronger in darkness than you are in light. Because they're stronger in darkness than you are in the light, when you get together, whoever is stronger on whatever side dominates the atmosphere. Jesus was able to influence unbelievers and be able to stand against those who are speaking deceit and and false things because he was stronger in the light than they were in darkness. So when he go around around them, he dominated the atmosphere. And many of us are not dominating the atmospheres where we're supposed to dominate the atmosphere by the Holy Spirit because we're being conformed to the atmosphere as opposed to changing the atmosphere. I say it this way, we're called to be thermostats, not thermometers. We're called to shift the atmosphere, not conform to the atmosphere. And if you're going to shift the atmosphere, you have to have an understanding of first who you are. You know, if you don't have an understanding of who you are and who God's called you to be, you will not be able to affect change in this society. I'm telling you, and I mean that, and I say that to myself, until us all, myself included, walk in a place where we're encountering God for real, we don't have the authority to change a nation. The authority is a secondary consequence of proximity. And proximity, what proximity am I talking about? Proximity in closeness and fellowship with him. The closer we really walk with him, the more we would learn to be who he's called us to be, walk in the true identity he's called us to walk in, and the more we will walk into places and don't have to speak a word, and the atmosphere shifts. This is what we need to understand. We're called to be people who change the atmosphere. You know, this, it was said of Jesus when he preached, which is what he did in the synagogue. He was preaching. He was a man, he was seen as someone who did not just teach like the other religious leaders. He was one who taught with authority. Do you know authority is not volume? <laughs> you know, I'm one of those shouters. <laughs> so everyone looks at me and says, oh, well, you know, you like shouting. By the way, because you've come to this prayer meeting does not mean you have to pray like me. I said to the team earlier on as we were praying, I said, I want you to do you, and I will do me. <laughs> be real to who God's called you to be, and release yourself in prayer. Whatever that looks like, just be you, and I'm going to be me. Don't criticize me for being me, and I'm not going to criticize if you're just being you, but if you're conforming to the atmosphere, and you're being timid, and thinking spirituality is all about just not saying anything, and just remain in the corner, when the Lord wants your voice to be heard, and you can shout for your football team but can't shout for God, then I think there's something wrong there. So I wanted to do you well, and I would do me well. Where was I now? I just went aside. Someone remind me, where was I? 
Jesus changed, thank you, Jesus changed the atmosphere. Jesus walks into the synagogue and he said he was a man with authority. And when you look at this story, you see that um, one of the things that uh, uh, it's interesting about this for me is Jesus walks into the synagogue and he's teaching. And his teaching is interrupted by something he sees. You see, when you stand on the platform and do what I do, teaching, sometimes when you preach, when you're teaching, it's, it's kind of rude for someone to interrupt you. I mean, if you do this long enough, you don't want someone just interrupting you when you're in the flow of a thought. You're like, shut up. <laughs> Keep your thought to yourself. This is my meeting. I'm speaking. <laughs> That's happened before, actually. Well, I didn't say that in the meeting, but you know what I'm trying to say. You know, hecklers and all that kind of stuff. When you've got the microphone, you're speaking, there is a certain amount of concentration and focus that you need. And like you said, you know, I asked you just then, you know, what was I saying? There's, an, there's significance of being able to keep, uh, there's something significant about being able to keep a train of thought and being able to communicate effectively with focus. Now, there are not many other places in scripture where Jesus' teaching was interrupted. So I think this is significant. Now you know the story. His teaching is interrupted by something. His teaching is interrupted by a woman he sees. Now you got to take this into consideration that the person writing this story was writing it from hindsight. So this is what they wrote based on the revelation they had when they wrote it. This woman had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. When Jesus looked at the woman, she did not see, he did not just see the woman. He saw into the spirit realm. Otherwise, how else are we going to have the details of what was actually on her? Because everybody else in the meeting was looking in the natural realm. But Jesus saw the spirit realm. And by the way, we are called to be a people who are sensitive and aware of the spirit realm. The spirit realm is more real than this realm. Hear me loud and clear. The spirit realm is more real than this realm. That's why these kind of things are significant. Prayer storm and gatherings of prayer. See, to know what the enemy is afraid of the most, look at what he fights the most. The prayer meeting. You go to church on a Sunday morning, you find how popular the church is. Sunday evening, how popular the pastor is. Prayer meeting day, how popular God is. We don't have a real understanding of the significance of our prayers. And part of that connects to the fact that we don't have an understanding of the spiritual realm and how our words affect things in a realm we do not always see. But there is an unseen realm that affects things in this realm. If you don't believe me, look at the scriptures. It says, this woman had a spirit of infirmity and she was bent over. For 18 years, she walked bent over. Everybody else thought she was just having a medical issue. Everybody else thought, well, maybe she's got something going on or whatever. But it was a spirit of infirmity that was causing the manifestation of being bent over. Something in the unseen realm was causing a manifestation in the seen realm. Listen, you do not counsel demons. You cast them out. You do not medicate demons. You cast them out. And I want you to understand this. If it's in scripture, demons are real. Angels are real. 
They're in this room right now. God is real. We do not see God with our physical eyes, but that's not to say he's not tangible substance. Because sometimes we think of spirit as something that, you know, like when we're in heaven and we try to hug each other, we're just going to pass through each other like, whoa. (laughs) Okay, let's try that again. Whoa. (laughs) It's tangible substance. It's just not physical substance, but it's still tangible substance. The spiritual realm influences this realm. And when Jesus saw this woman, he saw what was causing this issue of her being bent over. And she's, she'd lived with this for 18 years. Now, you say that 18 years very easy, 18 years, but if you're the one that's lived like that for 18 years, do you understand that that is not an easy thing? Because that means everyone notices everywhere you go, your issue is on display. And one of the problems with us in the church is we wear a lot of masks. So your issue might not be being bent over, But you're actually bent over because something is causing some manifestations in your life that you're not really dealing with. People may not see it, but it's happening. Now, I think it's foolish to always focus on Satan and the devil. But I think it's equally foolish to not be aware of the devices of the enemy and be aware of the fact that you're in warfare. We do not focus on the devil, but if he gets in the way, we kick him out. So we better know when it's going the way. As opposed to just be oblivious to the fact that the enemy is messing with us. And he's messing with many of you. But you've not discerned the fact that this is not from God. This is not just a medical thing. There's the enemy trying to just play. See, if if a sickness has its root in the spirit realm, no tablet on the earth will ever solve that sickness. You have to deal with the source. And I love this illustration. I use it all the time to explain how the spirit realm is more real than this realm. See, there are shadows that are being cast right now. My, I have a shadow right now. My shadow is not me. My shadow is just a reflection of me. If I want to move my shadow around, I don't move my shadow around. But I'm trying to move the shadow around. I move the thing cast in the shadow. That's what the spirit realm is like. The spirit realm casts a shadow, and that is this realm. Believe me, nothing just happens. Nothing just, repeat after me, nothing just happens. Again, nothing just happens. There are things going on around us we, we don't have a clue. One of the things I like to do when I get to heaven is I like the Lord to play me back the videotapes of these meetings. And I want to really see what the angels were actually doing. And what was going? I'm telling you, there's so much spiritual activity. The atmosphere is charged. If you don't feel it, believe me. There's things going on that you do not see. You do not see radio waves, but they're real. And if you had a radio receiver, you pick them up. Similar spiritually, there's so much that you do not see that's very real. You know the crazy thing about this? This woman had been going to church for years. Bent over. No one in church could help her. You know, it's possible to go to church and not meet Jesus. That's what happened. Jesus saw her. 
Jesus took notice of her. He dignified her presence with attention. You can go to church year after year. You can even be a leader in the church bent over. And the reason why you're bent over is because you have not really met him. Remember what I said earlier on? How can I say I'm saved if I'm still bound? Saved from what is the question? This salvation business better be real or it's just a whole load of jokes. Because if the power of the cross is real, then that power must be strong enough to break away every chain. And that includes pornography. And that includes drug addiction. And that includes every addiction. I mean, if that cross, if the blood can break that, then all this stuff is just a whole load of metal. Just, this is just a waste of time. The cross of Jesus is not sin management. It's sin eradication. There are people coming to church like this woman year after year, week after week, and the issue is they're bent over. Others may not see it. It might be bent over in the secret place. It might be bent over with all kinds of cycles of sin and addictions. Do you want to listen to me right now? See, freedom is not the length of time between sin cycles. God has not called you to live in a cycle of sin. Okay, well, I didn't do it this week or last week, and I feel like I'm doing okay. I'm free for this week. No, no, no. Freedom is when that thing dies. What did Paul say? I'm dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. When that thing breaks, and what I'm trying to do in you is not to condemn you. I'm trying to get you to see that there's so much more God has called you to. And many times in the church, we lower the standard so much. We just get into sin management. We just manage stuff that we're supposed to cast out and eradicate. See, the fact that I am not seeing as much healings as I want to see when I pray for the sick does not mean I then lower the standard of scripture to my experience. I'm going to keep praying for the sick. And I have seen God heal the sick. And I'm going to see more sick being healed. So I'm going, to, I'm going to raise up my experience to the standard of scripture. Not bring up scripture. Not bring down scripture to my experience. Which is what tends to happen. So the fact that you may be struggling in cycle does not mean that's how God intended for you to live as a Christian. Your deliverance is actually seeing Jesus. Now look at what happens to the woman. <laughs> He called her to himself. Actually, the first point, actually, the first thing is he saw her. He took notice of her. And the first point I want to make from that is Jesus sees you. Jesus sees everything you're going through right now. See, you can dress it up with makeup and hallelujah and a nice jump and a nice shout. But Jesus knows the real you. I can deceive you and you can deceive me, but we cannot deceive him. How about we take off all the masks and just be real? How about we just become real with each other? There's too many people playing church. They want to have a nice time in church. They 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 want preachers and music to just stir their emotions, but not change them. See, if you want to be really, if you want to be changed, that's gonna that's gonna cost you something. That's something happens on the inside when you're really changed. By God, people are going to look at you and know that you've, you're a different person, that you're changed. 
That is who God's called us to be. God knows everything you're going through. God sees you where you are. But this is the fascinating thing. Even though he sees all the mess and the addictions and the struggles, he's not rejecting you. Just like the woman, he's calling you to himself. Can I suggest to you that a lot of the issues we struggle with that are repetitive and cycles have their root in the spirit realm? That's one of the ways that I identify things that I feel like are of the enemy in my life. Cycles. Oh, this happened last year. It's happening again. Oh, that happened to my mom. It's happening now to me. That happened, you know, that, that's not right. I believe God wants to break those cycles today. And one of the things I feel the Lord stirred in my heart for this meeting was just a time of breaking of chains and a time of deliverance and a time of healing. There's going to be healings here today. I'm telling you. Because that's what happens when the devil gets cast out. <laughs> the thing that he was causing gets, back, gets restored to what it's meant to be. Because the person causing it has been taken out of their place. Jesus sees the woman. He calls her to himself. Okay? She had to move from where she was to where he was. Even though he saw the condition... He didn't just deal with it right there. Jesus is the guy who speaks the word and boom, it's done. He called her to himself. She had to move out of where she was comfortable to where it was. And while she was moving, everybody was watching. All eyes on her. See, when you get desperate for deliverance, you don't care what anyone else thinks. See, we're going to in a moment pray for people and break chains and I want you to understand that calling people forward to pray for people is not a shaming thing. And some people will sit back and don't want to come forward. If you're really desperate and you want God to break things off of you that you feel like, Lord, I've, I've been going through this for so long, I can't, I can't afford to go through this again. This is not who you've called me to be. I don't care if you're the pastor of a mega church. If you're desperate, you'll do anything for deliverance. And that's exactly what happened. She forgot about the opinions of people and walked through the crowd and came from where she was to where he was because he was the only one that could set her free. And you know, when she got to Jesus, Jesus did two things. Jesus um, said, woman, you're loose from your infirmity. And then he laid his hands on her. And there was breakthrough in that moment. And what I want to bring out of that is um, the authority that Jesus carried. I'm one of those that believe we're called to live just like Jesus lived. And many people sometimes will read scriptures and see how Jesus dealt with sickness and see how Jesus cast out demons and almost look at that in a context where they say it's okay for Jesus to do that because he is the son of God and somehow count themselves out. I made this point earlier on, but I want to reiterate it because I think it's a vital point to make. Jesus had authority to deal with the powers of darkness in a way that no one had done that before Jesus came on the scene. And he's given us an example of who we're called to be. I think Acts 10 says how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and casting devils out and healing the sick and all these amazing things. There, there are two stories in scripture that really uh, give me a picture of what authority really looks like. 
One of them is the story of Elijah. When Elijah comes before the king, King Ahab, and uh, look at what Elijah says. Uh, where am I? In 1 Kings 17, I think it is. He says, there shall be no dew nor rain except at God's word. Does anyone know this scripture? Elijah says, there shall be no dew or rain except at my word. That was in saying, there shall be no dew or rain except at God's word. And then if you read the verses before that, it talks about, before God whom I stand, before the Lord God of Israel whom I stand, there shall be no rain. He released a prophetic declaration. But that prophetic declaration, he was able to release that because of where he stood. He was standing before God while he was before the king. He had a close proximity to God. His proximity gave him the authority to release the declaration he released. That is why when he spoke it, it happened. I want you to understand that this is who God's called us to be. A people who decree a thing and it manifests. The same thing happened with um, the angel Gabriel. When the angel Gabriel came to um, uh, uh, John, John's dad, Zachariah, and if you remember, the angel said to uh, uh, Zachariah all these things that they were going to have a baby and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and Zachariah was, was in unbelief. And then this is what the angel said. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to you to bring these glad tidings. Therefore, you will be mute. You will not speak. Note that Gabriel did not say that. God said you will not speak. Gabriel said, I have been sent to you, therefore you will not speak because of your unbelief. Now, what gave Gabriel the authority such that when he spoke it, it happened? Gabriel said, I stand in the presence of God. I'm telling you, one of our major issues today is the fact that we are not standing in the presence of God. We're not living in the reality of proximity to the throne. See, if you look at the throne of God, everything around the throne is on fire. He's on fire. His eyes are on fire. The throne is on fire. There's fire before the throne. Uh, the, in Isaiah 6, the seraphim, they fly around the throne, uh, and, and, and they're on fire. And actually, the word, another word for, for seraphim is burning ones. So everything around the throne is on fire. So how can we say we're close to the throne and not be on fire? We're called to be burning ones. And we're called to be a people who speak a word and it manifests. But this is a direct result of people who walk closely with him. And I believe we can come here and pray. And not really see the impact we're meant to see. Not because we did not have a great prayer meeting. But because after the prayer meeting, we did not maintain a walk of closeness with him. To sustain the ground and the breakthrough that we gain in this meeting. The breakthrough that has been gained, the ground that has been gained in meetings like this, needs to be sustained. It's easier to catch fire than it is to maintain fire. And many of you are going to get set on fire today. God's going to deliver many of you in this meeting today. But it's one thing for you to encounter God. 
is another thing for you to sustain that lifestyle. And you sustain that encounter by remaining close to him, living in that place of proximity to his throne. I believe that's what God's calling us to. This woman came before God, before Jesus, and Jesus released a breakthrough over her life. Now, if you look back at another story of another woman that came before, uh, that was brought before Jesus, who was caught in the act of adultery, and Jesus said to her, uh, 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 you know, where are your accusers now? Something like that, you know, because he wrote in the sun and everyone left. And then he, he, uh, he said to her to go and sin no more. I want you to think about that in today's context of Christianity that we've accepted as normal Christianity. Jesus said to the woman caught in a sin, go and sin no more. No more. Jesus said that. Do you really have faith to believe that you can live a life free of addictions? Where no more is a reality. Right now, we're coming here to pray. We're coming here to see God. And we can't really go deeper in prayer and intercession until I believe God breaks off some of the things that's holding us captive. You cannot bind the devil that's binding you. And these are my favorite phrases. If you've been around this movement, you heard it before. And you cannot have authority over an enemy you're sleeping with. I believe this woman that God delivered is a picture of the church. It's a picture of the church in the United Kingdom today. We're singing. We're preaching. But we're bent over. We're doing all these external activities, but we're stuck in addictions. We're making each other feel good, and we're being driven by external success or external things that show success in the external, but are not really successful internally. Do you know if we gain externally, but lose internally. We have in turn lost externally. What's the point? Having a growing ministry to the masses and a shrinking heart towards God. What's the point? Having God seemingly bless you and everything around you is going okay, but yet your heart is growing colder and colder and colder. Do you know God can release blessings into your life that end up becoming your destruction? The very thing you cry out for, many times, sometimes God does not give it to you because that thing ends up destroying you. And many of us are going out, God, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, I want you to do this. And yet there are things in our hearts that we're not allowing the Lord to deal with. That there are issues, that are repetitive cycles of addictions, and we're not letting the Lord deal with those issues. Yet we're wanting him to increase our sphere of influence. We're wanting him to bless us in this certain area while we're not letting him deal with those things that are priority. Because we've got to win internally. I'd rather be successful successful in the secret place and seemingly unsuccessful in the public place than be a failure in the secret place and seemingly successful in the public place. What, what are we concerned about? Are we concerned about what God really thinks or what people really think? I'm telling you right now, most of us in the church are more concerned about the opinions of man than Jesus' opinion. 
Because we're moved by the crowd. We're moved by the applause of men. And I believe God is calling us into a place where we'll begin to value the things that he values. This woman is a picture of the church that's living in a place of bondage. The church in the United Kingdom, I believe, has a destiny to influence the nation for God. There's a great destiny and a purpose for the United Kingdom church at large. And we're not living in that reality because many of us are stuck in compromise and cycles of addictions. And we're caught up by the external things of success. So we're not having the impact we're supposed to have. See, we're deceiving each other, but the spirit realm is seeing everything as it really is. We can shout all we want. We can, we can do all these nice gym, gymnastics all we want in public on the platform and all that kind of stuff. But yet, we're not living the real deal. John the Baptist was said about him. He said, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Uh, this is what the angel said of John the Baptist. John will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, I want you to take, into, I want to take this into consideration. John ended up being great in the sight of man. But primarily, he was called to be great in the sight of the Lord. Now listen, you can be great in the sight of man, but nothing in the sight of God. And you can be great in the sight of God, and nothing in the sight of man. What do you really want? No, I want you to ask yourself, what do I really want? Do you want people to say you're free? Do you want people to say you're holy? Do you want people to say you're good? Do you want people to say you're doing good? Or do you want him to say you're, you're pure? What kind of reality do you want to live in? I feel like God wants to call us to the place of one proximity to him where we begin to walk closely with him like the woman she came to him and in the place of meeting him was her deliverance and two i believe god has called us to walk in a place of deliverance from cycles of addictions this is what i live for i live for the reality of knowing that when all this is over when you're all gone home and it's just me in my room, I want to have a real burning zeal for God that's more real than anything that's on a platform. Yeah. I want to be great in the sight of God when no man is looking. And what I've found is the more I pursue being great in the sight of God when no one is looking, that is where my freedom really is. Not just in a moment, on a, now that's going to happen here, but to maintain that reality, I need to live in that place of close proximity to his throne. I need to live in that place where I'm walking closely with him day in and day out. I'm going to round up now with this, and then I'm going to invite some people to come forward, and we're going to pray. See, John ended up being great in the sight of people, but primarily he was called to be great in the sight of God. Being great in the sight of God is not something that most of us value like we think. The things that heaven values, most of us do not value things the way heaven values these things. I'm going to give you this example and then I'm going to round up. It talks about the parable, I think in Matthew 13, uh, Jesus talks about the parable of the seed, or, or um, the mustard seed. He talks about the parable of the treasure. 
It talks about the parable of the, of the, of the, uh, of the leaven and then the parable of the sower. When you examine all these parables, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. But look at what he uses to describe the kingdom. Seed. Treasure, which is hidden. Um, is it yeast? Or what's that thing? Um, huh? Leaven. <laughs> I think yeast. Leaven. Hidden. Think about this with me. What king describes the kingdom in those kind of terms? Most kings today describe their kingdoms with big things. Because it's showing us a picture of what God really values. Things that are hidden. That is why prayer is such a big deal to God. That's why your devotional life is such a big deal to God. And that's why it's one of the things the enemy will fight the most in your life. Because it's the hidden things that no one sees that heaven values. And this is who you're called to be. Do you understand with me? 